Before we go into the message this morning, I thought I'd answer a question I received this past week. So far, we've had different questions each week. Uh, this week came a really good question about 1 Thessalonians uh, in, in chapter 5. And interesting in Thessalonians, uh, there's, there's something you need to understand about uh, why what is written there is written there. The question was in, Thess- in Thessalonians 5, it, it appears in that section it says, uh, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, but it will not be a surprise to you, talking to the Thessalonian church. And so the question was, how, how can the Bible constantly say it's going to come like a thief in the night, it's going to come like a surprise, and yet to the Thessalonians, all of a sudden, the explanation was given that it wouldn't be a surprise. Well, I think the first thing you need to know is in the historical context of the Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church somehow, whether through false teaching, bad uh, uh, phone, you ever play phone? You ever play phone messenger where you send a message around and it gets messed up by the time it comes back? Somehow or another, the Thessalonian church believed that they were in the middle of the tribulation. They thought that it had already happened. The day of the Lord had begun and they were now in the tribulation. You can kind of understand that thinking because the Thessalonian church was really being uh, under attack. It was being uh, uh, tormented and, and under trials. And so they were having a difficult time and they believed that the day of the Lord has happened. And they were, they were kind of upset and nervous about that. Well, uh, you need to know that when the, the writer of Thessalonians comes to them, he does tell them that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But then he goes on to talk about the unsaved. The unsaved live in darkness and in drunkenness, so they are not prepared. Then it says, but you, you are of the light and sober-minded. The contrasts are incredible. Uh, Whenever it talks about darkness, it's always about a misunderstanding or not being able to see. The the word drunkenness is there. It's not an attack on alcohol by any means, but it means a way of living that means I don't care. I'm not, I have no cares or concerns. It's dark. I'm drinking. That's why we tell our teenagers nothing good happens after midnight. Remember, Uh, parents, don't you tell your teenagers, I want to be out till one in the morning. No, you don't. You come home because nothing good happens in the dark, right? And so the contrast is there. Dark drunkenness, and then light, sober-minded. Well, what the author is trying to tell these people is, don't worry, you're okay. The day of the Lord has not come. It is still coming, and it's going to surprise all those who are not ready for it. But you are children of the light. You have the word. You should be prepared. Does that mean that it's still not won't come as a surprise of course it is going to come as a surprise when it happens i believe it's going to be a surprise for everybody but those that are in the light are going to be okay those that are in the light are expecting it the bible talks about his coming and it tells us to be prepared be looking for that day be watching so you might be surprised when it happens but you're ready I think that's in general what the author of Thessalonians is trying to tell uh, his people there is that be watching for the Lord to come. Isn't that interesting? Our, our theme for our Revelation series is worship, watch, and warn. Be watching. Be ready for that day. And then don't be found not ready. We still don't know when he will come, but we know he is coming, right? 
I hope that helps as you look at that. It's about being vigilant and being prepared. Let's pray as we head into our teaching this morning. And and as I'm getting ready to pray, you can get your Bibles open or a gadget ready, uh, whatever you have, to Revelation 6 and 7. Those two chapters are where we'll be this morning. Let's pray. I'd ask that you pray this prayer with me. You don't have to say anything out loud, but just say, God, I know you have something for me to hear. I'm willing to listen. Give that prayer to God. God, I know you have something for me to hear, and I'm willing to listen. So God, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray everyone hearing this would be edified. I pray that Satan would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever grab a bottle of pills today? This is Tylenol, extra strength. Uh, my wife made me work in the yard all day yesterday, so I have them here just in case I have to pop them as I go. But No, I really brought them here as an illustration. Uh, why is it, anybody that, that lived through the 80s, why is it that we have seals on our medicine? What is it, Ed? The Tylenol. You guys remember that? Those of you who don't remember, the reason why it's hard to open a bottle today, and if you do get it open, you got that silver, you know, here's that part of that silver, you got that silver lining. You know, you won't believe this, those of you who don't remember growing up in the 80s, but before that time, you could walk into a a gas station, buy a bottle of pills, but they were not sealed, and it was, the pills were right there, ready to go. And then in the 80s, somebody went along and started lacing, they would go into Gas stations and pharmacies grab bottles of pills, take them home, and then lace them with cyanide and put them back on the shelf. Since that time, we have what is called seals on all of our medication. Why? Let me ask you a couple, think deeply for a second. Obviously, for safety reasons, but why else would you want to seal on medication? Anybody? What? I still can't hear you. Freshness, it keeps it fresh, that's good. Keep the children, two people said that at the same time, yeah, to keep the children safe, right? All these things are true. The whole purpose of a seal is to make sure that only the person who should be can be taking these pills. Well, we're entering into the seven seals today in Revelation chapter 6. And we learned last week that it's only Jesus, everybody say only Jesus, It's only Jesus who can break the seals of that scroll and reveal what's going to be happening next. And we're thankful that Jesus was found worthy. Everybody say worthy. He was the only one found worthy. Remember when the angel said, is there anyone here who can break the seal and open the scroll? And no one was found in heaven and on earth or under the earth. And remember, there's some big hitters there. There's some big hitters in heaven, man, Moses and, and Noah and, and Paul and Pastor Bob. And, and he, we've got some big hitters there, but nobody was found worthy to open the scroll but Jesus. And we worshiped him. Last week, we talked about worshiping Christ. Well, this week, I'm just going to tell you right from the get-go, it gets dark. And I, I can't apologize for it, but I need to tell you, I'm going to preach through what is there. We're going to give you the outline of the text, but please do not think for a moment that pastor enjoys this. I am not a pastor who just thrives on getting up on stage and just pounding how horrible things are going to get. Uh, I don't enjoy it. If children are here, I don't want them to be scared. I don't want you to scare anybody. My goal is not to scare anyone, but it's going to get dark 
we're going to see these seals open. We're going to see six of the seven seals. Then there's a little parenthesis time. And then we're going to talk about the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. And we're going to go through the, and I'm telling you, it is dark. For the last several weeks, our praise teams have been working on the, uh, they had the whole series laid out for them ahead of time with all the big ideas so that they can be ready and they can pick songs for that. And then I walked in Tuesday night as the team was here and Alec, Alec was here and he's like, well, pastor, I looked at your theme and there's just not a lot of great Christian songs about death and destruction and dying. And I'm like, I know, Alec, I'm sorry. I feel like you do. He was like, oh, and I'm like, oh, but we do need to cover it. We're not covering this to glorify anything today except for to glorify God who has a plan and who knows all things and nothing's going to happen that's out of his control. So the big idea today, the big idea today is that, oh, I'm going to skip a couple things. I must rejoice in Jesus, our lamb and shepherd. If you know Christ as Savior today, leave here not in fear, leave here in glory and 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 thanksgiving that Jesus is your Lord and he's your shepherd, the lamb that died for us. That's what you need to remember. There is a key verse that kind of points that out, and it's found in Revelation 7, verse 17. At the end of our teaching today, we're going to hear that the lamb was at the center of the throne and he will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. As you leave today, this was specifically written to the martyrs who died during the tribulation period, but it is true for you too. You have a lamb. He is on the throne and he's your shepherd. He's your shepherd. So this morning, as we look at some of these things that I've been showing you throughout these, this discussion, we are finished the throne in the book last week. We're on the seal judgments today. It begins a series of talking about all the, the bad things that are coming. So we've got several weeks of pretty negative talk, but we need to go through it and outline it. And then uh, we've been showing you this, the end time chart. You don't have to believe in every part of this chart. You can choose your own path, study it on your own. I encourage you to be students to studying it on your own. But we're going to be right here as the tribulation begins. Jesus is going to open each one of these seven seals. And then the, the trumpets, the bold judgments, as we get ready to then talk about Christ's second return. But I want to point out today uh, something new in the scheme of what we're talking about and that is daniel's 70 weeks daniel in the book of daniel in the old testament he gives us a window into what was to come and in daniel he talks about uh these 70 weeks 490 years while well, you would say well if we know it was 490 years from the time something happens and that is the decree to rebuild the walls of jerusalem well then boom we missed it we're 2,000 years too late. What happened? Christ didn't come back. Well, what Daniel did not know, and none of the Old Testament saints knew, was that there was going to be this mystery, this, un, this time that isn't numbered. We don't know exactly how long it'll be. It is called the church age. The Old Testament saints didn't know anything about that. And so as you look through, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, I'm, I'm telling you so you can look into the book of Daniel, start about chapter 7 and start reading all the way through, and you'll see him talking about these 70 weeks, which are years. You ever get confused when numbers aren't what they're supposed to be? You know, and, and why, why is it called Daniel 70 weeks when it's an untold number of time? How come when we talk about that last 
uh, that last one week, it's actually seven years. You know, I got a great verse for you, and I hope it settles it for you. Proverbs 25, verse 2. Think about it. Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. You want to be like a king today? Get into God's word. Study it. Search out. Yes, if God wanted us to know every exact detail of what's to come, he would have just told us. Is it, is it concealed in a way? Yes. The Bible tells us that now we see darkly as through dark fogged over glasses, but then at some point we shall all be made aware. We shall all know. Does anybody here, is anybody on this earth ever going to have infinite wisdom and knowledge? No. But we should be searching out the things of God. It might not help you, but it is hard uh, to understand some of these things when we talk about them in Scripture. Uh, all these things are happening. The decree to build the wall, the decree to rebuild the wall is completed. And then the end of this time frame begins with the church age. It's exactly, it was amazing. 434 years, you could count out the time that Jesus was walking in to Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. And shortly later, a week later, he died. And then we have the destruction of Jerusalem. And then we wait this unknown time frame until Christ comes for his church. And that begins. We have the introduction of the Antichrist who, who has a covenant between Israel. And then, uh, and then the, halfway through, the Antichrist breaks the covenant. And then we have the second coming. So Daniel is a good book to look at. So now... Let's talk about judgment. As we get into this talk and it gets dark, I, I just want to remind you of a couple of quick things. How should I feel? How should I be responding about this? What do I need to know? Well, what we're talking about in Revelation does reveal God's character. But what's revealed about God's character has been known all the way through. Back in Genesis, God has been revealing his character. And I'm telling you, the first thing is always God warns. Everybody say warns. Some people read Revelation and they think, oh my goodness, God is coming, it's harsh, he's just dealing harshly. But you need to know God's been warning, God's been warning. Have you ever had to deal with children and, and they get out of control? And, and you should know that as a parent or somebody in the nursery working with the children, you let them know, you better stop, you better not do this action anymore, because if you do, this is going to be the consequence. You need to know that our God, starting in the book of Genesis, we can go all the way to the flood. What did God do before the flood? Could God just have sent the flood? Yes, he could have. As righteous judge, he has ability and power. He, he's over all things. He's supreme. He's sovereign. Could he have just sent the flood? Yes. Did he? No. He always warns. You're warned first. And then God provides salvation. What did God do before he, he wiped out the, the planet with the, the flood, the, the worldwide flood? What did he do? He warned and he provided an ark. He said, Noah, go build an ark. He told him exactly how to build it with one door in it. He told him what to put on this ark. He provides salvation. The ark itself is a Christological kind of a, a reference. It points to Jesus, Jesus so when it comes to all things in eternity, God warns that he will judge. People will spend eternity in hell or they will spend an eternity with God in heaven. He warns us of that and then he provides a way to get to heaven, Jesus. 
for God so loved. I love saying it that way. You want to say it with me? Say it from the beginning. Ready? For God so loved. You got to work on the, let's do the, ready? For God so loved the world that he gave. God warns, but then God provides. And then God patiently waits. Don't miss that. In the days of Noah, Noah built an ark. Do you know how many years he was building that ark? Do you know how long God gave people time to repent? He waits. Why isn't Jesus coming now? It's getting pretty hard. It's getting pretty tough. Well, the Thessalonians were having it tough back then. How come Jesus didn't come? Where is he? Why do you tarry? How long? We're not the first ones who've said those words. How long? How long, O oh Lord? Well, let's be thankful that he waits. Everybody say waits. God waits. What is that? It's his mercy and grace. He warns, he provides, and then he waits patiently. I know it would be easy for us just to pray, Lord, come, Lord, come. But you know what? Maybe your neighbor needs Jesus. Maybe your co-worker needs Jesus. Maybe a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or somebody you know needs Jesus. Then pray for him to wait. As much as it might be difficult for you and you long to be with the Lord, pray that he waits until everyone has an opportunity to know. He waits. But then he finally dispenses judgment. Justice will come. He will Call an end to it. Like in the days of Noah, there was a time and it began to rain. The door was closed. God closed it. And it began to rain. There's coming a time when Jesus is coming. He's going to come get his bride, the church. And he's no longer going to wait. He's done waiting. He's going to come get us. And then justice, because he is a God of justice. So what what does this mean to me? How should I respond knowing that God is a God who will bring justice? How should I respond? Number one, God's judgment frightens us. As I begin to teach today, I just want to say it. Uh, I'll be very careful the way I say it. Uh, I'll use Old Testament instead of New Testament. It should scare the Hades out of you. As I preach today, if it doesn't scare the Hades out of you, then you're not quite getting God's justice and wrath. It's coming, but it doesn't come without his warning his salvation and his his waiting but it is coming so it frightens us if you have no peace when you leave here and you go throughout your week and you're thinking about is he coming is he coming am i ready am i going am i in if you start having those questions and thoughts stop worrying take that burden off your shoulders and know that you know that you know that you're saved how do i do that how do i well then you you talk to god At any moment, you can go to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know you sent Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. It's done. It's finished. But I ask you to forgive my sins and come into my life as Savior and Lord. You do that. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Don't keep waiting. Don't keep worrying. Don't keep wondering and so scared thinking about he's coming. This is the very thing that brought me to salvation. What we're going to be talking about over these next weeks, we had a preacher come in. And he did a, a whole series in the evenings at our church. And it scared the Hades out of me. I was a young kid, probably 12, 12, 13 years old. And this guy was preaching fire and brimstone. And I'd go home and I'd think, oh my goodness, I'm going to hell. I would worry about it. I'd stay up at night. I'd be sitting there thinking about it. 
And in this case, it was perfect because I wasn't saved. I'd grown up in the church my whole life. I'd grown up in a Christian school. I knew all the things. I'd gone through a one and learned all the verses. And I knew that I wasn't going. And so it was in bed one night. Johnny Carson had already finished. My mom and dad's bedroom was next to mine, and the doors were always open, so I always listened to Johnny Carson until I fell asleep. I listened to Johnny Carson, and it ended, and the next show came on. And it was finally about 2 o'clock in the morning that I'm in my bed, and I can't sleep. I'm sweating. I'm all messed up. That I went and knocked on my mom's door. I said, Mom, wake up. I'm not saved. I was just so ready. And my mom said, but honey, you said a prayer when you were four years old. It was so cute. We knelt by the bed and you prayed. I said, mom, you've told me that story, but I don't remember it. It isn't real to me. I have no relationship with Christ. And I, I know that if he comes, I'm not going. And my mom stopped trying to talk me into something that wasn't really there. And we prayed. We went through the Bible. I remember her getting the Bible out. We went through the whole Romans road. I'm like, mom, I could teach this. I, I knew this stuff. I knew it, but I didn't own it. She asked me if I understood, and I did, and I said, Let's, we prayed, and I said, God, save me. Even though I had known it all in my head, I was scared to death, and it was that that God moved and motivated me to get this for sure. So it frightens us, yes. God's judgment sobers us. It should wake us up, because right now, I believe the church is kind of in a drunken slumber. We're kind of sitting on the sidelines and sleeping. We start hearing about these things and we talk about God's judgment coming in his wrath. It should motivate us to wake up. Take this seriously. Somehow we've been lulled to sleep because of our assurance. And, and, and other people are telling me, you know, Pastor, you've got to be careful about preaching about this pre-tribulation, this escapism, because it makes the church weak. I can't help it if I see it in the scripture the way it is, but it's still no excuse for you to be asleep and just say, I'm good. I'm good. I've got my fire insurance. I've said the prayer. I'm going to heaven. So what does it matter? We shouldn't feel that way. It should frighten us personally. It should scare us to death for the people that don't know him. And it should sober us to that mentality. And then his judgment coming, it should humble us. I hope you, you leave here every Sunday humbled by God's sovereignty. You're not in charge. You don't make the call. It is God. When, how, it's God's. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to swallow and deal with is that you're not in charge of this and you can't control it. But it humbles us. And lastly, it should reassure you. I hope that it doesn't just frighten you, but you leave as a believer confident in your salvation and reassured that God is who he says he is. He's where he says he is. And he'll do what he says he will do. Amen? He'll do what he says he will do. That's why one of the things that I'm strong and staunch about is we shouldn't quit on Israel. We should support Israel. The Bible says to pray for Israel. I don't believe God's done with Israel. I, again, I don't know what kind of a God you could serve that would just make a covenant, many covenants, many covenants, and then walk away from that because of disobedience. Man, I'm so thankful that my God doesn't just cut covenants every time I make a sinful choice. I'm so thankful that God is patient with me, his child, that he sticks with me. And so I believe that he's going to finish all the things he said he would finish with his people Israel. Have you been watching the news this week? Did any of you watch the news and say, oh my goodness, Pastor Jackson, stop talking about Revelation. This is getting scary. Did you watch as Hamas just throwing thousands of missiles over the border? 
Israel stands up for themselves, defends themselves, and of course all the liberal media, oh, Israel's bombing. No, no, Israel's defending themselves. Can you imagine this postage stamp size country? I don't know, what is it, the size of Indiana? I don't know how big it is. It's not that big. It's pretty small. It's postage stamp size country, and everybody around them wants to obliterate them with a a nuclear weapon. Everybody wants to wipe them off the face of the earth. Because of that, Israel is one of the highest guarded military Uh, They have an incredible defense system. Have you seen the Iron Dome? Did you watch those bombs at night coming over the the border and being met by bombs in the air and blowing them all up as they came? Boy, Israel is armed to the teeth. I remember traveling to Israel. You get off the plane in Israel. I was with my father-in-law who's traveled the whole world. And and we, we get off the plane in Israel and we go to get our luggage and they send you. Everybody funnels off into this hallway. And this hallway is about the size of this room, about, about the width of this room. Everybody comes into this wide hallway, and it's about as long as three-quarters the length of a football field. It's just this wide hallway that goes on forever. Anybody ever been to Israel? You know what I'm talking about? You walk through this big hallway. We're walking through the hallway, and my father-in-law says, Don, smile. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, smile. Look at all these cameras that are looking at you. He said, Don, this hallway is no accident. Israel knows what they're doing. Everybody walking into their country has to come through this hallway. There are cameras and sensors. By the time you leave this end and get to that end, they know everything about you. They've read your wallet, your passport, your, your everything, your ID, and they got your facial recognition. They probably know what you had for breakfast this morning and how much money you have in your bank account. Israel's ready. <laughs> we learn from them about security. Isn't that amazing? America learns things from Israel about security. So let's get into Revelation this morning and talk about Revelation 6. We're going to talk about the seal judgments. The first seal is now ready to be open. It's talked about in verses 1 and 2. I watched as the lamb, we're in Revelation 6 verse 1, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard One of the four living creatures saying a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. He was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Jesus opens the first seal. What do we learn about the first seal? Well, there's a voice of thunder. What does thunder represent? A storm's coming. You ever been out and you hear the thunder rumble? A storm's coming. How many of you are those crazy storm watchers? You like to be out in the storms. I love it too. I thought I loved it, uh, but my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law stuttered meteorology. She loves outdoor stuff, but my father-in-law loves storms. We were on Lake Michigan up in Traverse City, and we had this place on the water, and I remember the thunder started rumbling, and the forecast was a major storm coming, and all of a sudden the sky starts lighting up. We got the lightning going across the sky. The wind picked up. And the lightning intensified, the thunder intensified. I'm like, well, that was cool. Let's go. <laughs> I'm going inside. My father's like, no, 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 no. I want to stay. I'm like, you're crazy. He's standing out on the dock, on a metal dock, and he's watching the storm come in. And I'm sitting there going back to the, the cabin, and I'm, I'm heading, I'm like, Joe, you better come. You better come. 
He's like, just a, just a little more. I just want to. And the wind's picking up and strong. The lightning's crashing. The water's flapping. And the thunder's loud. And, and I get inside and I'm looking out. And I'm like, hey, Joe! Joe, they're talking about tornadoes! How come in just a minute? Picnic tables are starting to lift and fly across the yard. Chairs, anything that's not bolted down. I'm like, Joe! He goes, all right. He finally comes inside. When you hear about thunder coming, it's a warning. The storm is about to, to land. They hear the voice of thunder. They see John. He has one of the, the angels says, come. It's an invitation, and John turns and sees. What does he see? The white horse and rider. Who is this? It's the Antichrist. It's the Antichrist. Remember at the beginning of the tribulation? You know it's the beginning of the tribulation because the Antichrist is identified. He's a counterfeit Messiah. I want you to notice he's coming on a white horse. Well, listen, he's the fake deal. Because in Revelation 19, the real deal is coming on a white horse. He always tries to be like Christ, but he's not Christ. He's the Antichrist. He comes on the white horse. Oh, he's got a a bow, but you notice there's no arrows mentioned because he comes on this white horse pretending to be peace. The white horse represents peace. So he comes without arrows, but just a bow, and he takes the crown. Notice he's got a crown on his head. Where did he get the crown? Satan gave it to him. Remember back in Luke 4 when Satan was tempting Jesus and he offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world? And Jesus says, no, it's not for you to give. And and he didn't take that crown. Well, the Antichrist comes. He's somebody who took the crown. Satan offered him the deed to the planet, although Jesus is holding it in his hand, right? He died on the cross. He purchased it with his blood. He is rightful owner, but Satan, still the prince of the air of this world, he gives this Antichrist the crown. And he comes as a counterfeit Messiah. Signs of peace covenant with Israel. You go back and look in Daniel chapter 9 to see what this is talked about. That's one of the signs at the beginning of the tribulation. The Antichrist comes and immediately he signs a covenant with Israel. Now listen, friends, I was here for a second. You need to understand that this is going to be very clear that Israel is under so much attack, constantly being barraged, that somebody's going to show up and they're actually going to have the answer. And they're going to bring peace. It's the Antichrist. For some reason, the, the Bible indicates that Israel's going to buy it. It's going to be so bad and harsh that Israel's going to say, this guy's got the answer, we're all in. And they sign this covenant. What does that mean? You know what it means is they're going to give up some of those places that they're holding on to right now, land that they've been in dispute about since all forever. And they're also going to start giving up their weapons. Because when you sign a covenant, a peace covenant, it usually means disarmament. So what's going to happen at the beginning of the tribulation? The Antichrist arrives, and he is going to be, man, people are going to love him. He's actually going to bring peace. Can you imagine a time in this world that Israel is under attack constantly and bombs are being lobbed over their border every day? Can you imagine? You're watching it, people. You're watching it today. You're watching this postcard stamp country being constantly threatened with annihilation somebody's going to show up and have the answer and bring peace it's hard to imagine what's going to happen next after peace comes peace will be destroyed the second seal verses three and four when the lamb opened the second seal i heard a second living creature say come 
John's invitation, then he turns and he sees another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So this time of peace is upon not just Israel, but upon the whole world. This Antichrist is going to come and bring peace, and then peace ends. (laughs) Nothing like getting Israel to give up land, give up all of its weapons and defense, and they're sitting there unprepared. Daniel talks about Israel's unprepared. She's not ready. How could that be today? The IFD, I was telling my son, he's 18 years old. I said, son, it's amazing to go to Israel because on every corner there are kids younger than you holding big machine guns. He goes, what? Yeah, there's a guy and a girl on every corner. They have compulsory military. Everybody growing up in Israel serves in the armed forces at 16 years old. So I said, you go anywhere in Israel, 16-year-olds are carrying these guns everywhere. It's amazing to see. There's coming a time when Israel's going to give all that up, stop defending, and they're going to trust this peace bringer. But then comes blood and warfare. Israel's attacked from the north. You can look at Ezekiel 38. Read Ezekiel 38. Talks very clearly about Israel will be attacked. Who is there from the north? I don't know. It could be anybody. Everybody hates them. Everybody wanted why what? But if you read throughout all of Revelation, you start to believe that it could be Russia. The bear from the north comes and attacks. Could be. And Israel is unprepared after the peace covenant and disarmament. They're not ready. And they are wiped out. That's the second seal. The third seal, verses 5 and 6. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures say, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. Six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And don't damage the oil and the wine. What does this black horse represent? The black horse and rider are famine that follows warfare. I believe there's going to be warfare unleashed on this earth like unbelieved, unseen before. It's going to be cataclysmic. And I believe that then after that comes famine. People are going to have a hard time. War is devastating. But then comes a scarcity of food. The Bible is basically saying it's going to take you a whole day's wages to make one loaf of bread. Not even a loaf, enough for one person. Or you can go the cheaper route and do the barley kind of bread, and you can get bigger quantities, but it's less nutritious. You're going to struggle. There's going to be a hardship. And by the way, as I preach this, I will remind you that I'm not here, by the way. Uh, some of y'all are going to stay to mid rapture That's fine. Some of y'all are going to stay to the end of tribulation. That's fine if you believe it. I'm going home. I'm not going to be here. I'm out of here. You can believe what you want about the tribulation, but I plan on being gone. But while I'm saying you, you need to know that I'm speaking with one thing in mind today. Speaking with one thing in mind, this is being recorded. And I believe that people, when the tribulation comes, are going to be looking for answers. And they're going to go to the internet and they're going to start searching. And somebody's going to stumble upon Revelation series at Oakwood Community Church. And they're going to be watching. And I want them to know what to expect. So whether you stick around for it, that's your choice. Or whether there's somebody watching me from whenever it happens, I want them to know. The Antichrist is that rider who comes in and offers peace, but it's going to be destroyed. And you might be looking how you're going to eat every day and struggling to exist, but it's beginning. It's just the beginning of the awfulness that's going to happen. Because the fourth seal, starting in verse 7, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. So John's invitation was there to look. And he looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and by the beast of the earth. 
We're talking about a tribulation period now where war is devastated, scarcity to find some food, and then this fourth seal, a pale horse. It represents the sword, pestilence, disease, and wild animals. The sword. Well, warfare has already broken out, but have you watched the news and seen wild rioters destroying parts of our country? I believe wild, wild rioting is going to be the rule of the tribulation period. If you're having to, to scrounge for food, you better believe there are going to be wild people running around, not afraid to shoot and kill or hurt anybody to take what's theirs. In order to live, there's going to be an awful place to be right during this time frame. Hungry, scared, under attack, and then pestilence comes. Some people like to, to think that maybe the, the weaponry and the things that are happening during this time when there's a great war is, is nuclear or some kind of biological. We don't know, but the Bible says there's going to be pestilence. There's going to be disease. And if you're watching this, we lived in the time of corona, but corona was nothing but a sniffle compared to what we're talking about coming. 1% death rate. I believe this pestilence and disease that's going to hit is going to be a mega Wipe out. People are going to be suffering with something that you can't throw a mask on and hope to avoid. I think it's going to be awful to be here during this time frame. Disease and pestilence and maybe, maybe medical care. We don't know much about medical care. Oil and wine, by the way, were used for healing. They were used for medicinal purposes. And it said, don't damage the oil and the wine. Not only is food scarce to come on, I think medicine is going to be scarce to come upon. It's going to be an awful place to be. And then this one scares the snot out of me. That's why I'm praying I'm right. Lord, if I'm right about anything, make me right about the tribulation. I don't want to be here because the, the Bible says the wild animals are going to be everywhere. Ah, I'm scared to death of animals. I don't like animals. I'm scared of squirrels. I'm pretty sure squirrels are going to attack me if they had a chance. You heard about my only time hunting deer, right? I went out hunting deer. My, my father-in-law sat me down with a big gun, told me not to shoot anything because I didn't have a license. Then he left me. And wouldn't you know it, a deer comes down the trail right at me. I'm like, what? He's going to, somehow he knows I can't shoot. He's going to attack me. I was scared to death. I'm the only hunter ever who was scared to get killed by a deer instead of killing a deer. It was awful. But the Bible indicates that the wild animals are just going to have rain. Did you see the news this week of that, the crazy people who have tigers as pets and they got loose? You see that? They caught it yesterday. Whoo, yay. People have wild animals. What, 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 I think Ben was telling me there's more wild tigers in captivity than there are in, the, in people's private collections than there are in, in the rest of the world in the wild. All I know is that the Bible says the wild animals are going to go wild. I'm not going to be here, friends. I'm going to be up practicing my ride. I've got to learn how to ride a horse, so I'm going to be up in heaven saying, please get me a calm horse. I'm scared of animals, and this is going to be an awful thing when the animals are up to attack. You can't find food. You can't find medicine, a disease, and pestilence. And this is an awful thing. And then wild animals come, and I'm, oh, man, I'm out of here. Who's the rider? It's death. And his companion is Hades. Why? Because death is for the body, but Hades is for the soul. Those that don't know him, they die a certain death, but then their soul is forever. And their soul goes to Hades. And so death is always accompanied with the rider, Hades. And then we get to the fifth seal, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign 
Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So you need to know that when we get to the fifth seal, the scene changes back to heaven. Up to now, in the first four seals, John turned and he saw what was happening on earth. Don't forget the scene changes from earth to heaven to earth to heaven. Up there, things are going good. Down here, things are going really bad. John looks and he sees up in heaven and he sees martyrs crying out for revenge. They're at the foot of the Lord. Who are these martyrs? I believe that these are, these are martyrs who died specifically during the tribulation period. Could there be a special spot for martyrs of all time? Perhaps all martyrs of all times, but I think it indicates here they had died during the tribulation time. They believed, and so they were saved during the tribulation, but they find themselves at the foot of the throne, which is good to you, everybody, to know. And if you're watching this today, there's still time, I guess, for you to be saved and find yourself at the foot of the throne because God cares for those who suffer. They're crying out, how long? How long did you see God's grace? Not yet. Wait a little longer. There's still more coming. Aren't you thankful our God is waiting for more? He's waiting for more. He tells them to wait, but he's going to put an end to it soon. Oh, they got the white robes. We know that means salvation. And they're waiting. And then we get to the sixth seal. The scene changes back to earth. Look at verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves. And among the rocks of the mountains, they called for the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? As John looks and sees what's happening here during the tribulation, during the sixth seal, he first sees a great earthquake. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24, 7. He says there's going to be mighty earthquakes. I don't think this is a, a one or a two or, or even a four or a five. This is a great shaking. I believe the whole earth shakes and crumbles. At this point in the tribulation, things are already bad, but they've gone from bad to worse. But maybe you're holding out in your home. Maybe you got your guns and you're holding out against the rioters and you're hoping you're going to make it. But all of a sudden, the earthquake comes and everything's flattened. I think all, all safety is taken away. We see the kings and everybody are fleeing for the hills. I believe this great earthquake devastates this planet. The next thing, there's six things that happened during the sixth seal. The second is the blackening of the sun. It's darkened. I don't know how this works. I know that you can't cut off a third of the sun and we still exist, right? But it is darkened. I watched those Alaskan shows where they only get like one hour of daylight for a certain part of the year. What a terrible way to live. I just can't imagine living there. It's cold and it's dark. I believe whatever's going to happen is the effects of the sun are are darkened out for for a majority of the time. I believe it's going to be darker. I believe it's going to be cooler. And then the Bible says the reddening of the moon. We've seen the red moon, the blood moon. We've seen that before. But I believe whatever it is with the chemicals in the air, who knows from all the craziness that's happening, the appearance of the moon is going to be blood red. 
Then there's going to be a shower of huge meteorites, things falling from heaven and busting through the atmosphere, not burning up. We're talking about landing, crashing, boom. What a terrible place to be. And I don't know what this means at all. The, the Bible says the, the heavens are rolled up like a... I don't know, but there's going to be a great convulsion in the sky. The, the convulsion of planets and stars. What is that going to be? I don't know. How is that going to affect things? I don't know. I, I do know I love the ocean and I love going where the tides are, are predictable. Have you been to the shore and you look at the weather, then you look at the tides? You ever do that? Everywhere I go uh, where there's an ocean, I love to see what the weather's going to be and when are the tides going to be. They have it down to the minute. All week long, it's high tide will be at 1.02 in the afternoon. The next day, it's going to be at 1.04 or whatever it is. It changes. So you look at the tidal chart. I think that what's happening how in the heavens is going to change all of that. The next thing that's talking about is the disappearance of mountains and islands. I do believe the earth is going to shake. Mountains will be flattened, but islands will be gone. I believe that the tidal waves, we're going to lose all sorts of land that we think is permanent today. Ah, friends, this is going to be awful. I pray you're not there. I pray I'm not there. But this is the beginning of the six seals. Just the first six, there's a pause that takes place. We'll pick up on the seventh seal in chapter 8 of Revelation. But for now, we have a second to talk about. Oh, by the way, I didn't finish this. What are the people doing on the planet? Well, it's, it's the unsaved that are still here. They attribute these events to God's wrath. I want to make sure that's something very clear because this always bothers me. We spend so much time trying to figure out, okay, it says things are coming, so these are obviously ballistic missiles that are coming. Well, the Bible says it's from the heavens. It says it's from the stars that that it comes through. and, and, And we always try to figure out in our common culture, what could these be? What kind of rockets could these be? Well, apparently the people that are dealing with it, they don't say, and then bombs will be coming from other they say it's the lamb of god it's god's wrath they actually claim and know that what they're doing is they're hiding from god's wrath not man's wrath they apparently know these things are from heaven not from earth so we got to stop trying to figure out all these things and put names to everything we see in here it's god's wrath that is being thrown where do they seek refuge not in salvation Their arrogance and richness and power leads them to hide in the mountains. They go to nature to hide. They should learn that God is in control of nature. They can't hide from him. The mountains, the caves, they will not give them solace. So let's go to 7. Chapter 7 is so much better. Let's read parts of what happens here. There's a delay of judgment. We stop after six seals. God is sovereign and he restrains destruction. Let's read verses one through three. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel come up from the east, having the seal of the living God. They called out in a loud voice to the four angels who'd been given power to harm the land and sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Let me just be very clear. The planet is not flat. Let's start with that, okay? Some Christians read this and say, oh my goodness, the planet is flat. We're actually, because there's four corners. No, no. You understand literature, understand uh, writing, and understand that, 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 that God's not confused. The earth is round. I believe it's round. There should be no confusion here. But we do use terms like f- four corners of the earth, right? 
I mean, I say that to my wife every time she disappears in Walmart. When I finally find her, I'm like, honey, I've been looking through the four corners of the earth for you. Well, I hadn't really. And there are no corners. It's round. But we use that terminology. So let's just get that straight. So as bad as things are here during the tribulation, God still is not allowing it all to be unleashed. There's a holding back. And who are the 144,000? If you don't agree with me on pre-trib rapture, I know you're not going to agree with me here. Let's stay friends, okay? Let's stay friends. If you have a different take on this, you're probably with some really good people who have a different take on this. You got people, I got people, all God's people got people. And a lot of different thoughts. So you study. It's the glory of kings who will search out a matter, right? It says here, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed... 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. I won't read all the names of the tribe, but 12,000 from each tribe. Somebody did the math, 144,000 Jews. I read an article this week, some really intelligent people. And the article was, who are the 144,000 Jews? They had two points. Number one, there weren't 144,000. Number two, they weren't Jews. Okay. (laughs) When you can read something plainly, you try to read something plainly. And that's, that's how I take it. You don't have to believe this, but when, I, when it comes to this, I just believe the plain understanding is a lot easier to understand than trying to do hoops and somersaults through this. I understand Daniel's 70 weeks are a lot of years, and that's confusing too. So maybe the 144 aren't exactly 144. Remember the Bible says 10 more days, and it didn't mean 10 days exactly, it just meant it's a number of times. I don't know for sure. But the plain understanding of this text with the detail is there's 144,000 of them and that they're from Israel. They're Jewish people. Jewish people saved during the six seal judgments. What do we know about these 144,000? They're servants of God. They're protected preachers and witnesses. I believe God loves his chosen people. I believe that when the tribulation starts, a lot of it has to do not just with the unsaved on this earth, but it has to do with his people, and they're going to face some punishment. Not the saved Jews, the Jews that believe in Jesus Christ today, Messianic Jews, they haven't missed the Messiah, but they believe in the Messiah, I believe they're going with us at the rapture. I believe they're going to be, they're saved like we're saved, white clothes and all. But there are going to be a lot of Jewish people that are left behind because they're holding true to the Jewish thought, and they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But when these things start happening, I believe there's a lot of Jewish people that are going to go back and look and say, were we wrong? Yes, you were. And if you're watching today and you're watching from Israel or whatever place that you're at and you're a Jewish person during the tribulation and you're wondering what's going on, look in the word of God. Look to see who the Lamb of God is and you'll see that you missed it. But God's going to use those Jewish people. They're going to understand. A lot of the, old, a lot of the understanding of the Uh, tribulation is the removal of Christians and the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit, as the restrainer of evil, is going to be lifted, but he, the work of the Holy Spirit, is still going to be effective. I know that might be hard to understand. I believe that he won't be restraining all the evil, but he will be working in people's hearts and souls and minds. I believe 144,000 Jews are going to come to know the Messiah, and then God is going to mark them with a seal. They're marked on their foreheads. Ephesians 1.15, by the way, if we can put that on the screen. Okay, take your time. Ephesians 1.15 seems to indicate that we're all marked. If you're a child of God, you are marked. You are also marked. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and for all of God's people, hopefully there's more, 
No? Okay. You're marked. <laughs> the Bible indicates that all believers are marked. He's got his mark on you. If you're his, he sealed you with his mark. I believe this mark is actually going to be a physical mark, though. We do know the mark of the beast is coming for the unsaved who take that mark of the beast, but there's going to be people with a different mark. And they're going to be the 144,000 that have a mark so you can recognize who they are. They're going to be supercharged preacher witnesses. They're going to go throughout the world saying, listen, when, before this all happened, we thought we were right, but we were wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. He died on the cross. And if you trust in him, you can be saved. And they're going to be incredible evangelists. You know what? As horrible as the great tribulation is going to be, let me tell you, there's going to be a great harvest. I think this is going to rock the world and people that are still left behind, some are going to come to know him. The Bible indicates that. There's a great multitude as we move forward. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Every nation means not just Israel. These are Gentile people, probably mixed with some um, uh, Jewish people. From every tribe and language. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power be strength to our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, These in the white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? John answered, sir, you know. That's always a good answer when you don't know, right? I love that. (laughs) You know, right? You you got it, right? So the elder's like, yeah, I got it. I'll tell you who they are. He answered and he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat on them with scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let me bring you back to the beginning. We have a lamb who's on the throne. Be thankful today if you're a believer and you put your faith and trust in him. He will shepherd you. I believe keep you from this terrible day of wrath. I believe we have the witnesses and we have a multitude of people who won't take the mark of the beast and who will die a martyr's death and be saved. And God's waiting. Thankfully, he's waiting. He's patient. Why? His character. Can I remind you of his character before we close? God warns. Are you paying attention? Is the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart? God gives opportunity for people to come to repentance and salvation. He warns people that I will bring justice. There's a time coming when everybody will sit at the throne of God and he will judge the dead and the living. God provides. He doesn't just warn. He goes to the next mile and he provides salvation. Remember when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? What a crazy answer. People getting bit by snakes and dying, and Moses puts together a bronze snake, puts it on a cross, puts it in the metal, and he says, just look. If you'll just look at it. I can't imagine it. Some people wouldn't look. They refuse to look. They're like, our leader's stupid. He's the dumbest leader. He's got the stupidest thing. I refuse to look at it. And they died. They'd been warned. They were provided salvation. Those who looked upon it were saved. 
God warns. He provides salvation. Look to Jesus if you haven't yet. Look to Jesus. And then he waits. But he will dispense justice. That's our God. Let me pray with you. Let's pray today. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we'd be watching. Oh God, we worship you for who you are, but we watch for your coming. And God, help us to be more serious and sober-minded when it comes to telling others about you. Help us to be your witnesses. I pray all this in Jesus' name.